0: Isn't it ironic, don't you think? It's like the yell, like a driver's bank. It's an accessible taxi. But you are already want to late. Right? It's a real house. You got anything? <laughs> it's a
1: wide stall up a set of stairs. <laughs> Who would
0: have thought this to <laughs> <laughs> It's a red to a flight of stairs. <laughs> it's an elevator, but it's under
1: repair. It's a foot orthotic for an
0: athlete. How about a diet? That's how we're starting. Coming in hot. What's up, man? How's your day? I just got my COVID test. Oh, how was that? It wasn't that bad. People talk like it's some nasty thing where they're, like, poking a Q-tip out of your brain. But, like, it really just felt like, but, okay, so maybe it's because uh, pretty much every day I clean my nose. I can't blow my nose, right? So, why is that funny?
1: I was just picturing you, like, blowing your nose hands-free.
0: Like this is this is literally what it would sound like if I was blowing my nose. <laughs> that's what that's what it would be like—an anticlimactic
1: fart. It's like a light breeze. <clears throat> you, like you know how you have your Kleenex box mounted to your wall, yeah. it would be really funny if you just like drove in, up to it and like rubbed your nose into it and then just blew as hard as you could.
0: <laughs> I told you before, it's like one of my anxiety tells if I'm on a date or I'm like. Hanging out with someone, and I'm i like feeling it or getting caught up in the moment. My nose starts running, and then
1: your feet smell, and you realize your body's built upside down.
0: Right <laughs> now, I want to restart the episode. Shit! <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, so the COVID test, yeah, they put a. Oh yeah, so I was telling you about how I clean my nose. So mm-hmm. they basically, I get someone to. Take a Kleenex, twist it up into a spike, and then drill it up my nostril, and then I pull it out, and then that's how I clean my nose. So, like, I think me doing that every day has gotten me used to what happens when you do a COVID test. But it really wasn't that bad. She basically she tells you to hum the whole time, and she's like, "I'm gonna, we're gonna hum together, okay." So she's like, put it in your nose, and we just both start humming. So, it like some weird Mongolian ritual, she puts it <laughs> in my nose, and we both go, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, like, and then she's like, counting to five, she's like, mm-hmm, one, mm-hmm, two, mm-hmm, three,
1: mm-hmm, four, and that was it. Aw, she sounds like a really nice person. She It'd be fun- super nice, yeah. It'd be funny if you like asked her if you could sing your own song, and then she like puts the thing in your nostril, and you're like, it's like,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it literally took five seconds. Uh, it wasn't that bad. So I have to get uh, cleared before I can go out again, because I'm still in isolation. So if the test comes back negative. I'm good and I can leave the house again. But honestly, the most annoying part is that my hair is getting long and I have an appointment to get my hair cut on Wednesday. And I called them today to see when they could reschedule. And it's like the end of the month. So my hair is going to be insane.
1: Your hair is going to be insane. It looks amazing right now compared to my hair. Your,
0: your hair, I think when you get your hair cut, you just go too short.
1: Maybe. I don't know. I think I look like a feral, like, woodshed child. Like,
0: what a woodshed child.
1: Like, I don't know. Like, a victim in some spin off of uh, Silence of the Lambs. Or, oh, like, you live in a woodshed. Yeah. And, like, no, and I'm, like, chained to a wall. And I, oh, jeez. Yeah. And I, my hair grows out too long because my caretakers don't care.
0: I think that would be the least of your concerns. <laughs> if you're trying to a woman in a woodshed, and you're like, damn, my hair is getting long.
1: I think I've been watching uh, too many crime thrillers lately.
0: Yeah. Bad segue. Pretty good segue. So, with you hunched, you know what I should have done? What? Saying ironic, but it's like the movie. Wait, let me try it. Let me take two. Yeah, yeah, okay, go for it. Really right off the top of my head, but like, isn't it ironic, don't you think? An old lady turns ward of the state, deemed incompetent, but her mind is great. A great premise with a star-studded cast, so much potential, but this film is half-assed. <laughs>
1: Did you write that down? It's, it's oh, so No. Odd. No. Quite good, Tony. Good job. Good
0: job. I don't even think it works, because anyway, whatever. We watched. Uh, what was it called? I Care A Lot? Apparently you don't. I lost interest halfway through this dumb movie.
1: Yeah, me too. Okay,
0: so you, you were the one that told me about this movie, and you were like it's a new movie with Rosamund Pike, cool badass name. I've obviously seen Gone going amazing movie. We know she's a good actor. We also know that uh peter dinklage is in it and he's obviously great and we can argue that he has a disability so canon.
1: i'm not actually sure like if uh short people or exceptionally short people are okay with uh, being labeled disabled but i'm sure he encounters a lot of uh, discrimination similar to what we do
0: why wouldn't
1: they be I don't know, but I know that I know that the deaf community takes issue with it, so I'd rather not make assumptions.
0: Wait, but the, I would argue, and they wouldn't be able to hear me argue to them. But the <laughs> deaf community definitely <laughs> is a disability.
1: I would argue as well. It's an absence of an ability, so
0: yeah. And I mean, do you think eyesight loss, vision loss, is a disability? Yes. Is there a disability if you can perceive? If you can fix it by wearing glasses. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Just because it's easy to fix or correct doesn't mean it's still not a disability. I would like to hope that Peter Dinklage is open-minded enough to be like, yeah, it's a disability, but like, whatever. Same as any disability, you find ways to make it through.
1: I wonder if Peter Dinklage has like a team of attendants that help him compensate for... His
0: shortness. Okay, so that's maybe an argument for why it's not a disability is you probably don't need that much help. Like he means about the the only time I need to stand on the help as me is when we're at the grocery store and we want something from the top shelf. Yeah, yeah. Then we become equally disabled. (laughs) Like if, if we're living together, all of our counters are going to be very low.
1: Right, and it would be equally beneficial
0: to both of you. Yeah, or if I have a step lighter and that would only help him. Yeah.
1: I I, I don't know. Like, jokes keep kind of floating past my brain, but I'm not sure I can make them.
0: I don't know. I don't know any. I know one guy who he's like pretty short. He's like under five feet and he's chill about it. So it's hard (laughs) to know. I think it all depends on the person. Like, you can't, like, some of the jokes we make about ourselves to some people in our situations that's true it's just about who you're talking to and who your audience is
1: and how close you are with them
0: yeah and if they're self-aware enough and confident enough to take the joke but anyway all that said one of the best things about peter dinklage in this movie you mentioned while we were watching it is that he was cast against type so like the the point of his casting wasn't about him being a, a short person
1: yeah i mean that's how you can tell that he's made it because uh i've seen him now in multiple roles in which the his condition is not a component of the role and it like he's filmed in a way that puts him on equal footing uh, like visually and like in terms of amount of dialogue and presence on screen and everything as his as his peers so it's really cool like that's awesome
0: well i mean he also plays like uh a a bit of an evil person or a very evil person I wouldn't say a bit a a pretty evil person and I think his appearance is part of why he's menacing because it is like eye-catching when you see him and he's like like imagine any disabled person being surrounded by mafia level hitmen looking bodyguards You're going to think that that person is, like, nuts, right? Yeah. I think partially because of that contrast. Because he's, like, this little dude who's, like, walking through a a bake shop to pick out a macaron. And then, like, his bodyguard, he he has to climb into his, his vehicle. And then his bodyguard has to climb down, sit down into it. So there is some interesting power dynamic that's played there.
1: So, in order for him to be um someone in a position of authority relative to the people under him, he would have he would have had to have done something exceptionally overcompensating to get to that position. Right. So it's like how fucking badass is he that he both overcame the inherent struggle of his shortness and then also was able to become like a high-ranking uh, member of the mafia. And the, the very fact as well that the, the, the film pays no heed to his disability means that it's part of his opaqueness. It's just part of his kind of like mystique, and it kind of like lends to, lends to his intimidation or whatever. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I honestly get pretty jealous when I see a disabled person with a full-time attendant. So it's almost like the same thing. Like, what did you have to do to get a person that's always there to help you 24 hours a day? And he did that. Obviously, he took a different path. But he still has that. He's definitely done something. And you know, he's a badass because of it. Like, he he had to work his way to this insane position. But anyway, what did you even, what is it called? I care a lot.
1: Yeah, the movie's called I
0: Care A Lot. Which is trying to be clever. It's a little strange of a title. But it does talk about what the movie's trying to do, I think, at the beginning. Um,
1: I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it is an interesting title. Uh, it's straight to the point And it's like, I don't know, Rosamund Pike's character is an absolute monster who doesn't care whatsoever. She's a, um, what's the name of her position
0: a guardian
1: yeah okay okay yeah that's right she's a guardian and she basically scouts for elderly clients who may not be able to look after themselves and she um, recruits them into nursing homes and then proceeds to drain them of their of their assets like their anything of value in their homes and their residences uh, and safety deposit, safety deposit boxes and savings and everything.
0: And then she puts them in homes. Which I don't think is an uncommon phenomenon. At least, maybe not to the extent that the movie portrayed it. But it was a premise that hooked me in. When you were like, yo, there's this new movie. It's about Rosamund Pike who basically preys on the elderly. I'm like, okay, I'm already sold. Because first of all, I can see the parallel and the relevance to the podcast, right? Because, I mean, you can argue that getting old in itself makes you pretty much disabled.
1: Yeah. Uh, aging, like aging is sort of a process of becoming disabled,
0: oh, yeah. typically. And then at the same time, before you watching the movie, you know how these people can be preyed upon. And you know, as a disabled person, how similar of a, th- a phenomenon occurs to disabled people right right in the beginning it opens up with like her in that uh, that court scene and there's like an angry son who was trying to go see her his mom and they wouldn't let him in basically it seems like he's kind of on to her or at least very suspicious of her and malevolent towards her but why are you, why are you laughing
1: I feel like you're trying to use like ten dollar words uh, to like uh,
0: placa- placate me <laughs> no uh, malevolent Malevolent. I always get those two mixed up honestly because benevolent doesn't sound nice
1: benevolent is is uh nice it's like uh considerate i think
0: yeah i I know it but it doesn't it's it's an eye away from violent so it doesn't seem right but anyway. What I was trying to say was how it really makes, it positions her as like this caring person. And she talks so much about how it's her job to care, but you can easily tell because of her great performance that it's vacuous and she doesn't actually care. She just, she's placating us.
1: Yeah. The, the very, the very sight of her, um, like it tells you that she's capable of some kind of um deception, like she wears these like monochromatic suits, and her face is like overwhelmingly plain, but it's almost to the extent that it becomes notable. She's also got the most chiseled bulb I've ever seen chiselled bulb what do you mean Bob like her haircut oh, yeah, it's like it's like the executive caring yeah her hair is like is like um cuttingly straight i'm having trouble talking tonight for some reason um but yeah so i kind of got like american psycho vibes when we first started the film right because as you were saying yeah. it opens on this this courtroom scene where this deeply uh, fraught and distressed son of a of a mother in in an elderly care home uh is trying to to basically fight for the right to see Uh, his mother and you can like you believe immediately because you can see like the the pain in his eyes and just the hear the distress in his voice he's played by the by by the same lead actor who was in uh, Blue Ruin and Green Room I I can't remember his name it's like Blake something but he's uh, he's an excellent actor Uh, and so anyway he's fighting in court to see his mother and Rosamund Pike um, basically makes him look like a um,
0: deranged
1: deranged. Yeah. She completely gaslights uh, the court and him. And it's like already there's this like uh, dramatic irony because like you 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 feel the indifference and the kind of uh, apathy like emanating off of her because of uh, how she presents herself and, and just the, co- the, the coldness of her smile. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. it's such a wonderful performance from Rosamond. Um, you don't need the the opening monologue or, or uh, uh, narration or whatever where she explains that, you know she's uh, cold and indifferent and in order to make it uh, anywhere in the world, You have to be willing to exploit people and everything where she basically justifies herself in, in her, in her role as this evil guardian.
0: Well, it hooked me in immediately because even though I knew the premise for obviously her performance was amazing, but I just felt the same uh, fire that I feel when there's some unjust thing happening in, any care setting but like especially in mine something that directly affects me and i've talked to the executives of the program that run this place yeah and i felt that same apathetic coldness right and, and
1: they can kind of like like wield um this like
0: diplomatic
1: language yeah in your face to try to um like basically disarm you or to, or you to imply that they're back. listening but imply that they're listening but also suggest that you're uh, that you're wrong
0: right but and no matter what you do you can throw big words around as well ten dollar words twenty dollar words but it doesn't matter because they still have the power at the end of the day and if yeah. they want to they can literally take human elements of your life away
1: yeah, it's like we were talking about this before the podcast, but it's like you can tell that there's a problem when the amount of agency or power that you have in other dimensions of your life, for example, professionally, like you're, you're a successful um, and, and consummate professional, and you, uh, y- you do very well.
0: Consummate? Doesn't, isn't that what happens when you get married and you have to consummate the marriage?
1: Yeah, there's a secondary meaning, though, that that uh, I think means, like, perfect. Oh. Ah. Yeah.
0: So marriage is not perfect unless it's consummated.
1: <laughs> anyway, uh, we can talk about uh, fucking a little bit later in the podcast if you want. Um, but I was just going to say, like, um, your professional life is uh, in no way inhibited by your disability. And, and yet, like, uh, in terms of your your private life and, and the nature of your care, you're constantly fighting for for additional co- accommodation or essentially for fundamental needs. And that fight never stops.
0: I always feel like I have to be at least toe-to-toe, but ideally one step of ahead of whatever they might do. Like when I make a decision or tell an attendant here something personal about my life, I first of all have to assume that that information is going to be used against me Mm -hmm. in some way.
1: Yeah. And you've been burned several times when you, when you realize that people you thought you could trust um, eventually you couldn't.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it happens unfortunately too often and it's hard to recover from because you know that they have that power. Even though, like, the power dynamics between attendant and client is impossible to really navigate, but you know that they ultimately hold the keys to the access to the service that you rely on to function. And if they choose, they can strip any or all of it. The only thing that's really holding them. Is like some bare bone law infrastructure and then hopefully some moral decency.
1: Right. But also the the assumption that you're not going to challenge it or make their lives difficult should they um, transgress on certain fundamental boundaries or reduce your care in some significant way.
0: Yeah. And one thing this movie did really well is Rosamund Pike really made that power dynamic clear where first of all the word care itself is a very tricky word because it implies that there's some human component of empathy and compassion yeah but really for a lot of people not everyone of course but for a lot of people it's a job and also
1: care is a euphemism for control
0: interesting yeah well yeah because it does force people to Be in a position of give and take of livelihood I control a lot <laughs> yeah,
1: hey, um earlier, what I was trying to say um is that you should have the same amount of station or or freedom or control uh in your professional life as you do in your private life, and because you don't, it tells you that there's some discrimination at play,
0: yeah. Well, there's there's a couple of things there, because I mean, like, obviously I could choose to live in another type of care program where I fund my own attendance through money that the government gives me. And then I become my own boss and I hire and fire. And then there are no longer care plans and care directives and objectives and goals and all this stuff. And it's really just when you come here, I ask you what i I tell you what I need, and we perform those tasks or whatever
1: yeah it's funny the uh the how uh foreboding the idea of of a care plan is of of having it regimented and documented in a way that can be held against you. We talked about this in our last episode,
0: yeah, but I thought about it a lot during this movie because. It really a lot of this movie was about how Rosamund Pike quote cares but really, like you said, controls what these people can and can't do. It's so sad to see when a person's life is treated as a commodity. And even though obviously this movie was it was dialed up a bit to make it a movie, but it does happen. Like. You are a slot on a, a schedule. You are a number of hours per week. Like you're you are boiled down to the human part goes away. And I I've said this to certain attendants. Recently I had an attendant get me up and it was such a caring uh two hours of my life when she was like giving me a shower and getting me dressed and you could just tell that she was doing this.
1: She blew your nose ever so tenderly.
0: Her phoenix drills were so elegantly crafted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She took the perfect amount of toilet paper to wipe my butt. It wasn't <laughs> excessive, but it was thoughtful.
1: It'd be funny if you found out you needed a subsequent COVID test next week, and you're like all excited. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to downplay that pandemic. I'm just trying to... Like,
1: yeah, sorry.
0: When I when I found out that I came in contact with someone who had it, obviously, it was scary. But um, fortunately, I don't have any symptoms and I think I'm okay. But I, I know I wouldn't do well. That's why I got the test. Because like, even though I have no symptoms, like it's important right. to me to be not having it.
1: I don't mean to be morose or whatever, but it'd be kind of cool if you did have it and you were asymptomatic and then you got the antibodies And then you could feel slightly safer.
0: Yeah, that's my dream. I got really sick in December of last year, like 2019. Like a respiratory cold? Well, it was all those symptoms, but I don't think COVID was here yet. But I don't know. Anyway, I did tell this attendant, I was like, I just want you to know, like, when you're here, it really makes me feel like a person again and not a job. Yeah, that's such a huge difference. Honestly, I don't think I could give a higher compliment to an attendant.
1: Or a friend, even.
0: No, because it's really just so many people. It's just like task to task to task. You know, like some people will like, when people are using gloves, I get it. But like, like I have some attendants that will literally use gloves to they'll put like wax To do my hair with gloves on, or like it's just like, I don't know, you really do feel like a specimen. Like, right now, because of the whole COVID thing, they're also wearing full PPE, obviously. Remember when, like, they have to get ET and like the plant starts dying because they're upsetting him?
1: I've never seen ET, that's why I've asked you to describe this scenario to me multiple times. Or, this is our second ET discussion. I didn't realize that. I wonder if we could watch E.T. for this podcast. I mean, you've mentioned it enough that it resonates with you. So I want to watch it just to understand better.
0: It's a fantastic movie. And my sister, Gigi, watched it like maybe a hundred times a year. So I've seen it a lot. Does the T stand for Tony? No, it's terrestrial. Oh, pardon me. The E stands for idiot. (laughs) Um, I don't know what I was saying but it it does feel very inhuman sometimes and so when someone is able to offer you actual care where you feel like an actual person and not just a task to be completed and a list of steps in a care plan it it makes me sad to even think how much it means to me because I know how sad that sounds but it is such a big deal
1: it's funny how a latex glove can put enough distance between people where they no longer feel like a person
0: yeah obviously i get it like if you're doing stuff that is unsanitary um it's it's a good safety precaution i understand that but like it, it just it feels isolating or something
1: You just want them to raw dog it when they gel your hair, that's all. It's not too much to ask.
0: Yeah, is is that too much to (laughs) ask? But this movie does get at that very well at the beginning.
1: There's no such thing as a follically transmitted disease, is there?
0: I'm pretty sure Like the actual guidebook that they follow says, if there's a risk of coming in contact with bodily fluids, you can wear gloves.
1: What kind of bodily fluid would you put in your hair? Right, exactly. Like, I mean, unless you, instead of using Kleenex, you just rub your hand in your hair after a session.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I guess that's a kind of hair gel.
0: Yeah, it's like, uh, there's something about Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Tony. <clears throat> Do you know anyone who ended up in a nursing home? Uh, my
1: bava had to go to a nursing home uh, late in her 90s. She died a couple of years ago. Did she have a good experience? I don't think so. But by the time she, um, by the time she was in that position, she was no longer very lucid. So we don't
0: know if she had a good experience.
1: I know she didn't. I mean, she wasn't a very happy person in general. Mm. We suspect she was bipolar, and in 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 her dementia, it kind of became slightly more transparent. And yeah. actually, it was her moving to a home. Um, was a huge relief to my dad. He did go visit her every day uh, and he was very close to her. And despite that they had a a difficult relationship and they like at the best of times they didn't communicate very well, like they were close. So I think, um, I think she was treated really well. And she also, like we also live very close to where she, where she was moved. And so we saw more of her in the last few years of her life than when she, um, when she lived, in Fort William, so I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I, 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 don't think that all care home experiences are miserable. It's just, it, 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 matters what your, what your social safety net is.
0: It does happen though. Yeah, and they do drain you. Literally, I actually have family members who. Uh, one of them ended up getting dementia, having to go to a home, and her husband had to legally divorce her so that the government wouldn't keep taking their shared joint account money to pay for that nursing home because he was being left without money.
1: So like what pays for it in absence of those assets?
0: The government.
1: The government. Oh, wow.
0: But because they had, you know, a retirement nest egg, which I don't think was a lot, but it was being drained quickly enough that... His actual best course of it, uh, action was to legally divorce her so that uh the government wouldn't be have access to their money
1: that's another interesting thing um interesting way in which um existing programs meant to help people also kind of end up uh limiting their choices when we were students trying to find work uh after undergrads like I lived in subsidized housing. And you did as well. And th- there's this choice you have to make between making a living wage and receiving benefits from the government within that living wage or, you know, getting paid something better and having to sacrifice a lot of your benefits.
0: My rent went from subsidized, it was like $85. Yeah,
1: which is which is like an Amazon Prime subscription for the year.
0: To fifteen hundred dollars yeah. after that subsidy and it's the same apartment and the worst part is that I don't necessarily choose to live here it's just this is the place I have to live if I want this care.
1: And you like you like you were saying before you can go into direct funding, but we don't have a whole lot of um Uh, case studies in our social sphere of disabled people where there's people have succeeded on those programs like it's it's a scary world out there and to have to manage your own payroll of attendance that's a job in and of itself for which you are not trained
0: right and i think i could handle like the management of the people and stuff but what really actually scares me is not being able to get enough hours, because you can't. There's only so many hours you're allowed to get in a day. And then when you're outside of those hours, there's no, social, or there's no safety net. So if I'm between my morning routine and my lunch or my dinner call, and I have to pee or something comes up, you have to hope that you have someone within 15 minutes that can help you. And that's a pretty hard thing to manage.
1: Yeah. Just that, just imagining that vulnerability there, the chance of being like marooned on the Island of your own life. Yeah. Is like so fucking it's, it's scary. It's something you don't want to imagine.
0: And then not only that, but uh, for me, especially, but for everyone, as you get older, you need more care. And so those hours, can increase with you, but like, to what extent, you know, even in the past couple of years, my hands have gotten weaker. So sometimes I'll I'll have to call for something as simple as, Hey, can you put my hand back on the joystick because I can't move my chair. Yeah. And if I was stuck for 20 minutes or an hour or whatever, you really don't know. And so I'm, I'm happy that I don't have to think even though I have no control over who I'm gonna see, and if I really can interact with them on a good personal level, or at least I know that somebody will be there.
1: Can I ask you a stupid question? Yeah. For the sake of levity,
0: mm-hmm.
1: if you're too clean shaven, is there a chance you won't be able to scratch
0: your nose? Here's the thing: like it's a bit of a vicious cycle, because I obviously have a bit of a beard and a mustache which I use my mustache to scratch my nose. But I think as I do it, it kind of tickles. So it almost makes it itchier. So it uh, makes me want it more. Right,
1: right, right, right.
0: So I don't know if my nose would get as itchy if I didn't have a mustache, but I also wouldn't be able to scratch it without one. What an interesting dilemma. So what comes first? The tickle of the stash. <laughs>
1: good one so should we talk a little bit more about this movie or at least the first half of this stupid fucking movie let's talk
0: about the first half because the first half was good we actually watched it we watched the first half and i took a break for dinner yeah and then we came back and i was having a hard time getting back into it and i was like am i just in a different headspace now but thinking back on it the movie just took a terrible
1: turn. It totally did, man. It turned right on a dime and became something awful. <laughs> yeah,
0: they just like phoned it
1: in. Yeah, especially like that opening court scene kind of sets the stage for what you think might be like a an interesting, like tongue-in-cheek indictment of systemic problems like in um care homes. Which I was so excited about. Yeah, like I, like obviously Rosamund Pike, uh, like crushes this poor man who wants to see his mother, uh, but I mean, you just want her to get her come up and it's like, you're waiting for, yeah. It, you feel like that's what
0: the movie is setting up to do. Well, there there is that one moment where she's like, I get it, you want to beat me? I'm not, I'm not one who likes to lose, but if you want to try, take it up in the courts. Try to beat me the right way, and it just never happens. No, um,
1: so so basically, uh, after that court scene, um, we kind of see how Rosamund uh, operates in her profession. Um, her her and her assistant basically um find this woman that they call a cherry, uh, because she has no extended family, no children um basically no uh, caretakers um a- around her uh, and she's she's independently wealthy and she's kind of uh, spry uh like quite intelligent um but she's showing early signs of dementia so Rosamond um goes to uh, a doctor friend of hers um and asks her to basically sign a court document that says that this cherry Um, is unfit to live independently. And then she um, proceeds to kind of study the woman and figure out.
0: Before that, they also show her uh, interacting with the guy who runs one of the homes.
1: Right, 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 right.
0: And uh, he's like, oh, so so so-and-so just died. Uh, It's good news and bad news. The bad news is you're not going to be able to milk this guy for any more money And you're actually going to have to like liquidate his inheritance, meaning she's not going to get to touch any of that. So she's mad about that. But then he's like, well, the good news is it's a really nice corner unit in the nursing home. So you can have it if you want. You just have to pay me like a retainer fee. Right. And she's basically like retainer fee. I'm more powerful than that. You know I don't I don't have to pay retainer fees. And that conversation struck me because uh, obviously you know there's politics at play in any of these situations, but how much is at play? Cause I really feel like if they're on your side, if you have the right people in your pocket, you can really crush it. Cause I remember it's a bit of a tangent, but like I tried to get direct funding where I live now. And I proposed that I would manage the direct funding. I wouldn't use the attendance here at all. But in case of a dire emergency, and not like a call, uh, just a quick one-off emergency, I'd be able to call the services here. They were pretty on board with it, they said. But then when push came to shove, they were very against it. And I know that they've done it for other people. So it really makes me think like, you know, it's so much about who you know and how they perceive you. And that conversation in the movie really reminded me of that. But it also positions her as like the wolf in this industry.
1: Actually, one sort of interesting little detail of the movie is that in Rosamond's office, she has like a kind of, Array of Polaroids of all her clients, and and next to the client's photo, she has like these dots, which I think are supposed to represent like the amount of their assets that she's been able to milk from them.
0: Uh-huh.
1: um But it's kind of funny because it's set up like a, like you know what, like in serial killer movies, how they always make these these stupid like murder mind maps,
0: <laughs>
1: and it's like an interesting little visual. But it, it, put, it puts faces to all her victims, and it just, like,
0: makes you hate her more. Yeah, and then once you found out that, that one guy died, she just pulls him off the wall very calmly and carelessly, crumples him up and threw him in the trash.
1: Yeah, excuse me. And it's kind of um, fascinating, like, how the exchanges between Rosamond and her, um, her assistant, how frank they are. About how they exploit these people, like there's no mincing of words. There's there's no hiding it behind warm language, and uh, you wonder. Like, I mean, obviously it's a, it's it's for the sake of the film, but it, it's it's so it's so mesmerizing. It, it, it's really effective in uh, in building up your 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 heat for this for Rosamund. You just you just want to see her go down so badly. Yeah. One of the more interesting scenes is when she finally decides to approach the home of the cherry that they've marked um, and just tell her uh, like knock on her door, basically, and introduce herself with a sweet smile and basically say, um, hey, I've I've got I've got a court order here uh, and I need you to come with me. Uh, And don't worry, we're going to look after everything for you. Um, But basically, the law has said that you can no longer live on your own. So I've arranged for you to live in a lovely suite at such and such a uh, retirement community. uh, And it's going to be great, but I'll need you to come with me. And it's just like... The way this scene is executed, like the dialogue's not really all that exceptional, but it's like Rosamond's Rosamond's like
0: warmth is just everyone in this movie is such a good actor.
1: Yeah, it's like so overly stacked, which is what makes the second half so fundamentally disappointing.
0: Do you think that's how it works? I don't know. You Did not look it up, did you? Because I didn't look it up. But is it really just like a doctor says this person ha- ha- like has Alzheimer's? Dementia and needs to go in a home ASAP, and then someone can force them into a home.
1: I don't. I I don't actually know. To be honest with you, that's so scary. If that's the case, I wonder how it would have gone for like disabled people in the in the '60s and '70s, like before Bill five hundred four was passed, or like even like the America with Americans with Disabilities Act. Yeah. How easily the state could just swoop in and say, um, "Your existing care infrastructure is no longer sufficient." Here's a nursing plan, and here's where you have to go live now.
0: Well, yeah. I've had I've I've had them tell me that they can't shave me. I've, I've had them tell me that they can't clean my couch. Like it's just insane the time type, the types of uh, stuff that the one time I had to get. Uh, my physio asked me to try compression socks because, uh, like, my feet were swelling up from so sitting all day. I guess it's a pretty common thing because I don't have good circulation. And she's like, just get compression socks. That's literally what they're for. So I ordered some on Amazon, and I tried them out. A few days later, one of the attendants reported it to head office that I was wearing compression socks. So I get a call from basically the Rosamund Pike of the organization mm-hmm. saying, oh, so we found out you're wearing compression socks. Unfortunately, that's not something we can do without a prescription. And I'm like, for socks? And she's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to need a prescription. And I was like, what do you mean? I bought them on Amazon. Like, I don't need a prescription for a time and all.
1: If you just If you just lied to
0: them and said...
1: I have these new socks and they're really cool and I need to wear them every day. <laughs> like what they yeah. have even complained. Is there some sort of like a uh, profe like medical
0: component to putting on a fucking sock? To be fair, some compression socks are graded. And so they actually measure like the millimeters of mercury that they displace or something. I don't know, but these ones were not that these were just, I bought them on Amazon They're just tight socks, you know? Yeah. So she's like, no, unfortunately, and that's how she talks to me. Unfortunately, like, like everything that they're doing is in your best interest and they're sorry. What?
1: We're not going to help you. It's in your best interest to suffer. Okay, bye. Right. So
0: I remember saying to her, like, okay, well, I'm not going to get a prescription like this second, So I don't know what you want me to do, but obviously it might take me some time. And she's like, yeah, that's fine. I I wouldn't expect you to be able to get it that quickly. But we're not going to be able to continue putting these socks on until you get your prescription. Um, And I was like, well, then if I need these socks, then you're stopping me from being able to use them. Isn't that putting me in more harm's way than just letting me use them? And she's like, basically, it was this whole back and forth. And obviously, you know, in that situation, they hold all the cards. So I talked to my physio who happens to have a doctorate in physio. And she's like, no problem. I'll write your prescription right now.
1: God damn!
0: So she wrote me a prescription, sent it to me by email. I had it within an
1: hour. Oh, my God. She's amazing. Can we have her on the podcast? She's fantastic. Can we
0: just have her on the fucking podcast? I would love that, honestly. She's so cool. She's also like super smart. And she's been my physio for over a decade now, always has my back, uh, like professionally and personally. She's just the coolest. She's like, so she came in clutch, sent me the prescription. I forwarded it to this person at the And the next morning, my physio got a call from that person questioning her ability to write prescriptions for compression socks. Basically they were like, are you sure a physio can write a prescription for compression socks?
1: Fuck you. For all this effort they're putting into denying you care, they could have put your socks on a thousand times by now. Literally sock suckers.
0: It felt stupid fighting so hard for these socks. Because I didn't really want to wear them, they're stupid socks, man. Like uh, they come up almost to your knees. They're absolutely ridiculous looking. Like I'm purely wearing them to try to benefit my health.
1: I wear knee knee high uh, tube socks every day of my life. I fucking love them. I, I'm single, by the way, but that's not, that doesn't mean anything. Well, it's
0: definitely related. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure you don't have a prescription?
1: <laughs> no, I don't have a prescription. I just, I got into the habit because I used to wear AFOs all the time. Um, augmented foot orthotics, I think is the, what the acronym means. Yeah, it's actually
0: ankle foot orthotics.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh my God, I've, th- I've said the wrong thing my whole life. I'm pretty sure I could be wrong. But I used to wear th- them all the time. And in the winter uh, in Northern Ontario, when you're plastic foot orthotics get cold it like freezes your leg that much more so you got to wear protective socks and so i and so i just never stopped wearing them and i actually can't grow leg hair after the knee because my tube socks wore down all my leg hair i'm super sexy thank you bye
0: we'll put his number in the description (laughs) Uh,
1: she's a sock job hero (laughs) sorry
0: um yeah so anyway this big fight Not only were they they like, okay, cool, you got a prescription, no problem, we'll start using it. They tried to fight the prescription. They were like, no, I don't think that you're able to give prescriptions because they were mad that it was happening so quickly, right? Yeah. They wanted me to suffer for that time. They were like, okay, great, we can continue now. They were like, oh, no, I don't think this is good enough. I really preferred if you had to wait for another three weeks while you had to book an appointment with a doctor and a doctor writes a prescription, blah, blah, blah. So, <laughs> we
1: keep saying that um, you know, Rosamund Pike's evil in this stupid movie is exaggerated, but I mean, it's really, not. it's not fucking exaggerated at all. No. Do they ask for a portion of your salary from your fucking job? <laughs> to put on your socks? The amount
0: of time I've spent just fighting with them on the most mundane shit. One of the most ridiculous ones was the attendants started complaining that it was annoying to clean my couch because there was a lot of cat hair on it. What happens is they will first get the complaint from an attendant. That complaint escalates to the management team. The management team comes to me and they'll say, so the attendants have said that uh, they have to clean your couch during housekeeping. And it's hard on their back. And I was like, okay, no problem. Fortunately, my couch covers, my couch cushions are removable. So you can just take your cushion off. And I, this is the phrase I used, put it at your favorite height and clean the couch cushion. Have I told you this story already? No. Okay, because I feel like I this one gets me rattled up, so I definitely feel like I've said it a bunch of times. But I was like, yeah, I, I was like, you can just take the cushion off, move it to your favorite position, and then clean it from that position. And then she's like, oh, that's true. Well, actually, it's also that it's considered pet care, and we don't do pet care. And I was like, no it's considered housekeeping. And she's like, no, because there's cat hair on it. And I was like, anyway, so it's just this big fight. The point is, they will do whatever they can to try to make you feel like you're on the edge of losing your independence. It's right. always like, like basically, it feels like you're negotiating. It's like, hey, can I get up later on Sundays? Sure, but do you mind if we shorten your dinner call for the rest of your life?
1: As punishment?
0: Yeah. It'd be funny if they said they
1: could no longer help you pee because every time they have to put your dick in the urinal, it hurts their back because your your dong is too big.
0: you think that's funny, but that is no joke. An exact quote. One time I had a complaint that my, uh, my pee call is hard on the attendants. Because they have to hold the urinal for, quote, up to five minutes. God
1: damn, Tony. Why can't you pee faster, you stupid fuck?
0: Well, I mean, five minutes seems like an exaggeration. Maybe sometimes it's not because we've talked about my pee shyness. So, like, sometimes it takes a bit to get going. But my chair elevates to arm height. So they're really not bending over. And my big and that big. Like, they're not struggling to get that thing out. It was outrageous. I don't know. I have so many examples. One time they actually told us that if you have to pee, it's not considered an emergency. And you just have to wait until people are done all of the dinners and stuff like that. And I was like, so you might have to wait for hours? And they're like, yeah, but you can just wear a diaper. And I was like, excuse me? And they're like, that's what they do in institutions. And I was like, the reason I live here is so that I don't have to live in an institution. Then what's worse? Sorry, I'm just rambling about this. No, that's not
1: rambling at all. That's really upsetting me. For them to tell you that you should wear a diaper when you don't have to? Yeah. is just... She even had the
0: balls to say, well, if it makes you feel any better, diaper technology has improved a lot in the recent years. Like, that was going to make me go... Oh, diapers are good now? (laughs) Uh, We had a big fight on the phone, probably a good 45 minutes. I was like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Like, this uh, goes against everything the program is supposed to be about. And she's like, well, if you have an issue, feel free to bring it up with uh, my supervisor. And I was like, please give me her contact information. So I took it down I wrote like a two-page letter, sent it to her, and then she, the person I was talking to on the phone, her boss, and that person's boss all came to my apartment, we had a discussion in my living room, where basically the person I was talking to on the phone just gaslit me the whole time and said, oh, I'm sorry, that must have been a big miscommunication. I would never tell people to wear a diaper. I, and I was like, oh, so I'm just making all this up now. It's like, oh, I don't believe they're making it up. I think it was just a miscommunication.
1: Oh, fuck right off.
0: Yeah, ever since then, I keep, I only do emails and I keep. So
1: like, you have a record of the conversation? Exactly. Motherfucker.
0: It was outrageous.
1: That's awful.
0: Yeah. So, I wanted to say, Rosamund Pike's performance was genuinely infuriating, but only because it was relatable and real. Absolutely, I. <laughs> <laughs> you're so
1: rattled. Yeah, I need a second.
0: Yeah, it, it's devastating.
1: Could you imagine if, if this woman that you're speaking to that recommended the diapers, I, I what if there was some sort of like key performance indicator? For her, uh, like she gets some kind of bonus for the number of clients that she persuades to use diapers because of the, the relief that it would put on the program.
0: Well, recently, the funding model has changed publicly with like the amount that the federal or the provincial government gives these types of programs uh, got flattened, basically, because there used to be insane organizational management structures. Uh, and the government blew that all up to, in an effort to give more money to the end user, like the clients, which is obviously a good thing. But part of that process also meant that these agencies had to get basically audited. And um, that's the word I'm looking for. Uh, basically, they had to be given like a stamp of approval that they were doing everything Uh, according to their specs. And one of those things is, can you account for every minute of every call of every person of every day? And so it's way easier to do that if you can say this person never calls outside of these times because we tell them to wear diapers. Right. So in, in, in essence, that is how it happens. They basically get, Extra points if they can, Man, that words on the tip of my tongue, but if they can, uh, if they can prove that they're, quote, using their management resources efficiently or whatever. Optimally? Yeah.
1: So they are incentivized to reduce the client's quality of life in the aim of freeing up resources.
0: Yeah, it's all in the, the aim of streamlining and efficiencies and all that kind
1: of so you never you can't ever stop fighting.
0: No, because if you do, they'll just take more and more. And honestly, I believe that because I'm able to be vocal, physically able, and also like I'm able to articulate myself in a way where I'm compelling in these arguments, I think that has allowed me to live a higher quality of life than my literal neighbors in the building Mm -hmm. because they don't have that same privilege of being able to fight for their own rights, essentially. So when an attendant complains about them, and then management says to them, yeah, so staff have said that it's hard to do your call, so we're only going to do your call twice a week or whatever. I don't know what the, that person just, Basically, it has to start it up. And unfortunately, here's the worst part that I feel the most guilty about is because I'm good at fighting, I'm probably uh, winning those battles, which means that someone else is probably losing out because I'm keeping my hours.
1: But the very fact that you're able to advocate for your care means that the reasons that they come up with for trying to fight you are complete bullshit.
0: Well, yeah, they're bullshit from my perspective and they're bullshit from your perspective. But from their perspective, they're just trying to keep their checks and balances, you know? It is a very bureaucratic game of dollars and cents, but their clients' views are never represented to the point where the agency I, I live in has what they call... A governance model, which specifically stipulates that clients cannot be basically decision makers because it's a governance model. So clients can't be like on the board of directors or anything like that, because if they did, that would go against their model of governance rather than having the clients be a part of the decision-making process, which inevitably would make things better for the client, but also inevitably would make things harder for the management because the clients would be so demanding with their requests.
1: So then that means that in some very fundamental way, clients are never in control of the terms of their care.
0: Correct. Because and- if they were, they would also be in control of the resource management
1: the fundamental difference between disabled and non-disabled people disabled or non-disabled people are quite often able to meet their needs without sacrificing their freedoms that's not the case with disabled people Mm. that's so frustrating so the thing with i care a lot um is that like we see rosamund pike basically taking this uh, um, distinguished woman and putting her in a home against her will. She just marches into her house and tells her to come with her. I've got a place for you to live. And she brings her to this nursing home. And the whole the whole sort of portrait of this event is so devastating. It all happens in like slow motion. It's kind yeah. of like that awful scene at the end of Requiem for a Dream uh, where, I don't know, it's very anxiety inducing. Because you're made to feel as helpless as she is. Yeah, exactly, and and you see, uh, like all the smiles on 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 the nursing home coordinator's face, and Rosamond Pike's, and all the nurses—they look so welcoming. And it in in like it's it's filmed as though this is a a, a good development for the Cherry or the Mark or whatever. Um, and they use such passive language in um, explaining to her what's happening and how they're. Revoking her freedoms and how her life has kind of changed. Um, there's a moment where Rosamond asks for the cherry's phone, uh, like she asks for her to unlock it uh, and so, so she can put her number and her contact information so she can be in touch. Mm-hmm. And then when Rosamond puts her number in the phone, she just passes it to the program coordinator and you just see her, like the cherry's connection to the outside world just like ripped away, like so so suddenly and shockingly it's really hard to watch uh and you get the sense that you're that the film that you're watching like understands the injustice of the situation and you're really hoping for some
0: kind of payoff yeah i don't know tony you want to take it from here that was my favorite part of the movie was up till that point things have progressed and you you really don't know there's no one yet to root for because rosamund pike is pure evil her business partner slash girlfriend is also pure evil. Uh not just by association, but she's a hundred percent in on the game. And then even like the doctor's in on it. The judge is not evil, but he's clueless. Um, just because Rosemond Pike's character has pulled the wool over his eyes. Basically, she's in the home, she's now under Rosemond Pike's care. Uh she being The cherry, who I believe her name is Jennifer.
1: Right. I've called her Diane based on the actress's name.
0: Right, right. Yeah, so Diane plays Jennifer. The next thing for them to do, now that she's locked in this basically fancy prison, is start stripping her house to sell it and everything inside it to pay for the guardianship that Rosamund Pike is offering. And this is her game.
1: So they take out all, all the furniture and they start painting the walls. They basically remove all trace of her existence from the home.
0: Which is devastating. You really feel, it's the same, it's really the same feeling I get when I'm having a fight with these, with the care providers here. And you know that you're not being unjust or unjustified, but you also know that you're pretty helpless. Mm-hmm and all you really have are your words, and mm-hmm. they can only get you so far because your words are only used to articulate an entry point to empathy, and they don't really have that.
1: Is it, sometimes it feels like you need an able-bodied person in the room.
0: I, I, I feel like you need to be a lawyer.
1: Those interactions would have gone differently if your parents were there with you.
0: I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know. I think sometimes I think that would just fire them up even more to arch their back higher and, you know, pull out more bureaucracy.
1: But it's someone outside of the program that they don't want to be necessarily aware of the injustices that are kind of perpetrated toward the clients.
0: I had one meeting there with them and they brought an ethicist and I was like, Oh, okay, cool. We're going to have an ethicist here who might be able to like, I might be able to win over, Mm -hmm. but then very quickly, he started calling the director of the program by a nickname. And I was like, oh, well, I've already lost. Oh, God, that's awful. I
1: I feel like we should write the movie of your experiences here, not I Care A Lot.
0: (laughs) Well, it was very similar. I Care A Lot did do a good job of making you feel this pain, this frustration, this feeling of being lost and helpless.
1: Yeah and so from here, um someone comes along to check on uh, Jennifer.
0: to pick her up, yeah.
1: Yeah, to pick her up. A seemingly a taxi driver. and he's like completely befuddled by these painters like renovating the home and this like um agent from Rosamond Pike's uh office. Basically supervising the selling of the property. He's like, what the hell's going on here? He's totally rattled. Mm-hmm. And you find out uh, a short scene later that he reports back to the head of an organized crime syndicate. Right. Uh, that he, that his mother has gone missing essentially. And so this kind of twist is like amazing. Cause you think like, Oh fuck, like someone outside the bounds of the law is about to fight Rosamund Pike and, like, dismantle this awful system and, like, give her what she deserves.
0: Yeah, he's perfectly positioned.
1: Yeah, uh, but then you find out that he's, like, a sex trafficker. There's, like, allusions to him, like, managing, like, a group of prostitutes or something.
0: He's also in Cirque du
1: Oh yeah, they show a scene of Peter Dinklage doing like some sort of uh, aerobic yoga, and it's a little weird. I I was going to call it
0: Cirque du Soleil. It's pretty Cirque du Soleil. But I don't know if it's just because it looks so goofy, but I think it's also just like, I don't know, I think it was also like you see this scary man. He's ripped, obviously, because he's actually doing this. He's yeah, up, yeah. He's using these rings. He's it's not doing... a fucking
1: stunt double at all. It is totally Peter Dinklage. And, and he's yoked as fuck.
0: Yeah. And he's got this scary haircut. He's got like a man bun ponytail situation and a mm. pretty scary beard. And then the cutest little feet. And...
1: I didn't even notice his cute feet.
0: Oh, really? They're like size... One and a half.
1: He wasn't wearing pressure socks, was he?
0: He was wearing no socks.
1: Oh, lucky him.
0: And uh, it was just, it, it looks kind of funny. I, I i don't really know what the scene was supposed to do, but it was hard to see him as a scary villain in that moment. But then the very next scene, he's flip, uh, thumbing through plurals of like his mules they call them.
1: Yeah, and like I was kind of hoping that Dinklage would be this like uh, again this catalyst for change because he he he's not he's not bound to the law. Like I thought he would be like a an anti-hero we could root for, but it turns out he's just also kind of a scumbag. Yeah. And like yes it is his mother that Rosamond has targeted and put in a nursing home, but he doesn't so much care about his mother as he does the fucking diamonds. That she holds for him in a, in a safety deposit box. And so you're like, oh, fuck, there really is no one to root for in this film except for the guy at the start of the movie that's fighting to see his mother.
0: Right, who you haven't seen again since.
1: Yeah, and so kind of like the second hour of the movie is devoted to um, the, the crime family's attempts to get jennifer out of the nursing home and well, there like, was
0: that one scene before that where the lawyer comes
1: oh yeah yeah peter dinklage sends a sends a lawyer to go talk to Rosamond. and there's this really kind of fun tip for tap between the two of them where she realizes that uh jennifer's son is capable of killing her and like like the movie is obsessed with with how powerful Rosamond is like in her sociopathic indifference to everything that goes on, it's kind of like asking the question like like what is the depth of her like immorality of her depravity? Yeah. And unfortunately, for me, that's just not an interesting question to ask. And I was kind of wondering, like I've seen countless movies in which you're you're confronted with these like chaotic evil. Uh, men who have zero scruples and no redeeming qualities thinking like have your from no country for old men and Jake Jellenhall's character from
0: nightcrawler
1: from nightcrawler, just these like fucking forces of evil. Right. And in her own right, like Rosamond is that, um, but I just wanted to, I, what I wanted the film to do was kind of like present a solution to The systemic problem faced by uh, Peter Dinklage's mom. And and it just ends up becoming this battle of wits between Peter and Rosamond to obtain his fucking diamonds. And then the the two of them decide that they're an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object and they should just go into business together and continue to exploit elderly people in a, a fucking in a restaurant chain of nursing homes and you're like, fuck this movie. Like, I don't know what the hell is this movie doing? You know, what I wanted was a heist film where like Jennifer, um, maybe like, you know, plots with her son to escape the nursing home or something, or she, maybe she recruits some of the people she lives with to figure out how the fuck to get out of there. Um, and it, you know, throughout the film, they, they established that she's like an established member of, of her community and she is a real fucking person and she has the agency to reclaim her fucking independence or whatever. And then it, it, it makes, it, it argues via its narrative for all of the, uh for the, for the benefits that have been fought for throughout like all kinds of examples of, is it just like such a wasted, uh, wasted opportunity?
0: Well, the worst part is like, Jennifer doesn't even end up being a character after this point. She's no. just a plot device.
1: Exactly. She, she, she's just you,
0: yeah. She's being used both by Rosman Pike and by Pike and by Peter Dintilhac, and they're just they both want money, and the mom is just a means to that end. Yeah, she's
1: she, she's basically Roseman Pike's leverage in order to ensure that Peter doesn't kill her, like in many instances throughout the film. Yeah. And it like yeah, the movie's focus is just like completely off.
0: And I then think it started to lose me when the lawyer uh shows up with like his alligator skin briefcase or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, and she's like, I didn't wanna have to do this. After a pretty fun interaction, mm-hmm. he pulls out the briefcase and I'm like, Yeah, all right, what you got? And he just opens it up and it's full of cash. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh, like that's the best you could come up
1: with. Like like if this movie was your life, then the person who told like it would be a story about how the person who told you that you couldn't wear your pressure socks, like uh continues to succeed in telling clients that they should probably wear diapers yeah like what the fuck is that bullshit
0: and then you see more and more clients wear diapers
1: yeah and you know i don't know really disappointing
0: yeah they had such a great premise the first 30 minutes were fantastic Mm -hmm. the first hour was great but then after that it just yeah like it just turned into your run-of-the-mill crime thriller mafia movie like To the point where they meet in a, on a very boring movie set with some dump trucks. It's like a landfill. She's like talking her way around him, trying to convince Peter Dinklage to let her go or to pay her off or something. And even in that moment, I was like, maybe this will turn around. Peter Dinklage will buy her off. They, like pretend to buy her off and then like get his mom in on it or something Like they just try to kill her
1: i like to be honest with you and i don't know if this is something that could, could get me in trouble but i'd have been okay with some sort of like cripple equivalent of green book where she where he injures her and then in the process of recovering from that injury she realizes just what she does to her fucking clients
0: yeah, I would have been fine with that. Anything she could have had, a crisis of faith, she started to realize that what she's doing is inhumane. Even if it was like the cheesiest ending ever, where maybe she partnered up with the mom, Jennifer, to like take down Peter Dinklage. I would have been fine with that, you know? Uh, like if she somehow flipped her moral compass right around and tried to make up for all her sins.
1: Like used her knowledge of the system to dismantle it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like that would have been fun. There's honestly almost any ending would have been better than what actually happened. Um, Yeah. But the the thing that really lost me was when they just tried to pay her off and even more boring where she was into it. She's like, yeah, you can pay me off. Yeah, just no pay problem. Me more money.
1: Give me 10 million and I'll
0: run away. Yeah. And like, that's I, such a boring premise.
1: And you really like don't care what happens to her. Like You actually just, like, okay, fine. If she's not going to, if no one is going to win in this scenario, then I don't give a fuck.
0: Exactly. I think I'm just so disappointed because they were perfectly positioned to really explore this dynamic maybe it's poor timing because of the pandemic
1: yeah. yeah and everything that's coming to light right now with like the conditions
0: in nursing homes and all that exactly like we know that this is a real problem
1: yeah. and
0: you really have to be a-
1: which by the way we probably subconsciously known as a culture for decades and decades
0: come on yeah obviously yeah, obviously my mom once asked me how to get a nanny cam and a teddy bear so she could put it in her sister's nursing home room because she was certain that the nurses were abusing her like how sad is that um, but yeah, like I think because you and I are close to the system and that we've been in the system as disabled people i don't I think it's just as bad, probably worse for for older people because they don't have the mental faculties to sustain themselves or to advocate for themselves, which by the way, is my worst nightmare. Like that is the thing that I, I think about it probably every day whenever I'm directing my care, telling someone what I need, that is probably the only thing keeping me able to live independently, but it's also the only thing keeping me at the point where I'm at, And not letting people strip more and more from my needs.
1: It's funny, like if this podcast ever took off in some hypothetical universe where good things happen, we'd probably just use all the proceeds to live normally, not live lavishly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And probably like bring our other disabled friends along for the ride. Yeah, yeah.
1: We're not trying to like buy like lavish uh, furniture or cars or I don't know. Video game rigs.
0: I mean, I might, I might try to find a car that I can drive. Oh, that'd be really cool. Yeah,
1: yeah, but yeah, it's like we're just, we're just trying to make sure that you never have to wear diapers,
0: right? Yeah, I just want enough money so I can sustain wearing boxers instead of diapers.
1: So you can have a whole closet full of pressure socks that someone can put on your feet whenever the fuck you want.
0: So I can say I don't want to wear them today. Without fear of saying, okay, that means you never have to wear them again.
1: So you still have the option to scratch your nose if you're clean shaven.
0: So I can skip a shower every once in a while without thinking that means it might be my last shower. So you can
1: know with confidence when you pull up your pants that your butt is wiped. So I can
0: pee for six minutes. Six minutes? Mm-hmm. Holy fuck. Yeah, so maybe the pandemic, you know, we we've seen... This is obviously a sensitive issue. But that's probably what made him think about making this movie in the first place.
1: Yeah, but he just used it as a premise for a really half-assed thriller.
0: Yeah, so disappointing. I don't know. The the money thing set me off. And then they send the same guy who was supposed to be her taxi driver to try to go in and break her out. And I was a little on the fence about this. I, I would still say I was on the side of okay it's still a good movie
1: yeah that was like it was, a, it was a mid-film action scene that actually kind of worked yeah the idea of a shootout in the middle of a nursing home is pretty funny like the risk of accidentally hitting an oxygen tank and having it like <laughs> and hit like paul blart like nurse small cop in the face
0: if they could have just spent the resource money and time development in the second half of the movie, instead of having this stunt where the oxygen tank bounces around the halls and then hits a guy, I would have been fine without that scene. Fair enough. It was a great scene. It was fun. But if we have to lose it for a better ending, I'm totally fine with that. But then also, like, what kind of security guards in a nursing home are carrying handguns? <laughs> Maybe in this world where, you know, they know that they're keeping them prisoners.
1: Maybe the bullets contain like a few cc's of like melatonin for Gam
0: Gam. (laughs) Just shoot her in the mouth. (laughs) Go to sleep. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad we could laugh, dude. I've been depressed for like the last hour. I I knew that this episode wasn't going to be happy because we were both annoyed at the movie, um, because, and I think that's why I got so fired up during this talk, was because, like, this is all the pent-up rage towards the system that I have built up, and none of it was really addressed. They just set themselves up to address it, and then took a hard left turn. Like, did they just phone it in, or did they actually, was that the whole movie from the start?
1: I think it was the whole movie from the start, and we projected something else onto it.
0: We were just hoping it would be something else.
1: Yeah, because we're really desperate for a story that actually like confronts these issues.
0: Yeah. Can I
1: interrupt you with the wheel breakers?
0: Yeah, I'm done with this movie.
1: Yeah, please. So would you give up your disability if um, anytime you hung out with other able-bodied people as an able-bodied person, they had to wear diapers? They had to? Yeah, they have to wear diapers. So the implication
0: is they would know that it's my fault.
1: Yeah, it would be magical. Like as soon as they were in like a certain radius of your of you your your body, they would have a diaper on, and they 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 would not have the option to relieve themselves in a public toilet.
0: Right. I'm trying to think if any of my friends would be cool with it. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle would. They would be like Kyle, Kyle would like. He might be a bro about it. He'll be like, yeah, man, I'll wear a diaper for you, but, but I'll hang out with you once a month.
1: Or I won't hang out with you if I have to take
0: a shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, then he's a super bro about it, because that's benefit benefiting both of us.
1: Um, but then you can't, like, go out to eat together, get Indian food or something.
0: No, because honestly, like, I'd rather be forced to wear a diaper by an uh, evil Overlord in a care setting, than force all of my friends to do it. I'd also be afraid that they just wouldn't want to hang out with me, right?
1: Yeah. Like, what yeah. if we
0: go to Indian food and, like, you know, what if we eat some pizza and everyone gets food poisoning, but then they're just all shit in their diapers? And really? then I feel like it would be kind <laughs> of a dick move if everyone of your friends is in your house shitting on their diapers, and they're like, I'll be right back, (laughs) and then go to the bathroom. And they're like, wait, dude? And they're like,
1: whoa, I'm not wearing a diaper. You know what I would do? I would go, like, become friends with that woman who is the coordinator of care programs, and then she'd have to wear a diaper.
0: Oh, yeah, so how do you define friends? Can you just pick who you want to wear diapers? Because that could be a fun punishment. <laughs> like, hey, we're friends now. Oh, by the way, you know, sorry about that. That would be awesome. Like you can just be, like, somehow become friends with your enemies and then make them wear diapers. <laughs> I would maybe just make it like my life mission to have no real friends and then just only befriend enemies and just make make everyone they've ever hated shit themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, yeah, so your answer is yes. That's a good start. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, everything is already so remote now, anyways. Oh, that I could just FaceTime my friends from a distance. What is the radius? Is it like ten feet? Like, can we hang out in the same room?
1: Of course. Yeah, it would have to be like a few hundred feet at least. So, like,
0: it, it would almost be like location sensing. <laughs> You like know, they they go for a walk, they, you have a diaper on and you're like, oh, Anthony's around here somewhere. <laughs> you're like at a concert, trying to find each other, and just like walk around till you have a diaper on. <laughs> <laughs> you're really taking this to some fun places. I honestly just, I'd way rather think about this in that shitty movie.
1: Uh, it's
0: so disappointing. See Here's where I start to think, okay, it's funny to say yes, Mm -hmm. but I don't actually think I'm prepared. Like, what if I said, yeah, you know, be careful what you wish for. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid that if I say yes, somehow all my friends will start wearing diapers. And I don't think I want that for all of them. Some of them I think would be fine with it. Some of them, honestly, like, some of the jokes they've made at my expense, maybe they deserve it. But yeah, for all of them, I mean, I'm not gonna say no. I guess I'd rather be a martyr that wears diapers than make all my friends wear diapers.
1: Your soul is too pure, Tony.
0: Would you actually differ? I
1: don't know. Like for the chance to be able bodied, maybe.
0: You're like, dude, come on. It's the least you can do for me. I was in a witch for 30 years. You can wear a diaper when you're around. I would be afraid, like my abandonment issues would come into play, and I would be so afraid that this diaper curse is what's keeping my friends away.
1: It's it's crazy how much the whole the whole idea of a diaper, what it represents, it's 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 crazy. Yeah, it's like it's um it, to anyone who has to wear them, like it's. I guess it's hard to be frank about this, but there's a there's a a major correlation, valid or not, between diapers and dignity, and like,
0: yeah, no, absolutely. I, it, it's probably really, really hard to ever become fully at peace with that being your life.
1: And yet, the people who manage your care program can recommend them like so with with such blase.
0: Well, to be fair, diaper technology has gotten pretty good <laughs> in the past couple of years. The fuck is diaper technology?
1: Yeah, fuck right off. Diapers by Elon.
0: I used to be so self-conscious of the back brace that I had to wear just to keep my my back straight. And I'm still self-conscious about my feeding tube. I, I Sometimes I think about just getting rid of it and starving just so I feel less disabled. Because when it isn't cooperating, it's, it really just epitomizes my disability to me. And I think it would be similar to how you run running the A, B would feel about having to wear a diaper all of a sudden.
1: It's so othering.
0: Yeah, it just, it really feels like, like how can someone, like if I can't even wrap my head around this, how am I going to convince someone else that it's totally cool?
1: In my own way, I know exactly how you feel.
0: Yeah. So I don't think I want to put all my friends through that. I'd rather just like, be a martyr or whatever without sounding pretentious
1: like i know how that's actually how we feel but just for the sake of comedy like fuck it make them wear diapers yeah
0: yeah you're right that's true they'll live i, I also like the idea that i can make all of my enemies have to shit themselves yeah. <laughs> i really really like that you're right i'm gonna do it okay fuck me up sounds good all right i had one but it's not not as funny maybe we can make it funny I don't have a backup one. But I was going to say, would you become able-bodied, it, uh, but you're also a kleptomaniac. What
1: does that mean so again?
0: You steal things impulsively. So like everywhere you go, you you just have to steal. So like just little things here and there, but it eventually doesn't satisfy the itch. So you start stealing bigger and bigger things. I guess the biggest Threat is that you could end up in prison if you got caught. But I'm
1: I'm just an able-bodied thief.
0: Yeah, you're just a thief.
1: But do I steal something? Do I steal embarrassing things? Like like what? Do do I steal Crocs? Do I
0: steal? You only steal dildos, (laughs) and they get progressively bigger until you can't even get the urge satisfied. So you have to. Uh, commission custom size giant dildos and then steal them like from the amazon warehouse yeah it becomes a big deal and, I, and you might end up in prison as the dildo thief
1: but if i got caught because i'm not a sexual predator there's nothing sexual about this no no no. so if i got caught mm-hmm. that i would be like a weird dildo folk hero a folk hero? Yeah. You think you're going to be a
0: sensation? Because <laughs> I steal sex toys for the common man. For the common man? Or woman. No, nah, I think you'd just be a weirdo. I think okay. you would, you'd look at, you, uh, look at you as like, it's a strange obsession. It'd be like when some news breaks about a celebrity. You're like, did you find out that Jamie stole elbows from ever? <laughs> Like, everywhere he went, if he saw a dildo, he was uh, obliged to steal it.
1: I'm just thinking of this, like, prestige dildo in, like, a museum, like, guarded by advanced lasers and shit. And, like, wait.
0: <laughs> Made of, like, diamonds.
1: Yeah, and I'm having to, like, sleuth my way through and, like, Mission possible my way, like, <laughs> over to the giant cock.
0: Man, I want to see the Tom Cruise remake where it's the same level of Tom Cruise stunts and he goes through everything, the plot, the heist. But what he's after is just like a gold-plated dildo.
1: Mission (laughs) imcockable.
0: That'd be fantastic. (laughs) I think it would play well into his Scientology beliefs, so hopefully like... He'd be on board if we can ask him.
1: So, wait, are you
0: saying you would do it?
1: I would do it, yeah, for sure. I don't care yeah? if I have a collection of weird dildos. I get to walk.
0: What if you end up in prison for stealing dildos?
1: <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. At least you'd be able to walk around prison. I steal dildos, so what? Yeah, that's true. At least I don't steal the life savings of the elderly.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what made me think of it, really, like, if you are a crypto. It isn't as good as the ability to make other people have to wear diapers. I just wish it was more of a superpower and less of a curse. So I could choose, like, you better be nice to me or you'll be shooting yourself tomorrow.
1: Well, I mean, you can, you can choose, like, by befriending them, but you have to go through the effort of befriending them.
0: Yeah, but then also you have your friends. Like, I wish I could just, just choose my enemies. You know what I mean?
1: I think a surprising number of your friends would wear diapers for you.
0: For me, like, like out of, well, not
1: sorry, not for out of you, solidarity? but uh, under that circumstance, they'd be like, "Yeah, you know what? Fuck it, no problem."
0: Yeah, but it's, I think that maybe you're right. They'd be like, "Yeah, okay, I'll wear a diaper, dude, but I'm only gonna hang out with you like once a month."
1: I could, I, I could shamelessly just pee where I need to pee, and I'd have a perfect excuse.
0: I don't know if it's shameless. I don't know how good diaper technology has gotten, but I feel like (laughs) you can still kind of see the bulk through the pants.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: I think people like can't you hear like the crinkles when you? I don't know. Shout out to Depends. Maybe they've come up with some great stuff lately. But imagine they became our sponsor after this. (laughs) I'm fine with that. I would even wear a pair. No, I wouldn't. Actually, sorry, Depends. I would. I would promote them. But honestly, probably one day. With the amount I have to hold my pee, so that I only pee after dinner time, I might one day end up having to uh, having to wear diapers.
1: That doesn't sound like a very good note to end the episode on.
0: Yeah, it doesn't. What do you What do you think we should end it on? Do you want to do another uh, a Morissette set song? Yeah, please. Okay. Yeah, well, you have to help me with this one. Uh, let's do. Thank you.
1: Okay, you go first. Inspire me.
0: All right. All right. Thank you, SMA. Thank you, CP. Thank you, Taylor transport. Thank you, Pressure Socks.
1: Thank you, AFOs. Thank you. Thank you, reverse K Walkers. Oh my god, I can't sing. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't this as a blank. <laughs> Thank you, Wheelchairs. Thank you, elevators. Thank you. Thank you, urinals.
1: What was the last one? Urinals. Oh, urinals. Ur- yeah,
0: yeah. Thanks for those. Yeah, That's yeah. We could yeah. do thank you, diapers. Thank you, diapers. Thank you, diaper tech. <laughs> um, oh, man. I'm blanking. I'm blanking. Thank you, come on, <laughs> <laughs> I
1: think we should be backup singers for Alanis. Alanis Morissette? I'm ending
0: it there. <laughs> Alanis Morissette, hit us up. We'll help you write the wheelchair parodies of all your songs. I guess.
1: Peace out.